This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. At some point far in the future, historians will probably ask, what was daily life like in the early 21st century? Well, one thing we know for sure, nobody will ever point to these two clowns and say, this was how you should have been stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and what a great show we have for you today. First, my hypnosis training kit just showed up in the mail. And second, visiting us from the Vice Fund, we'll welcome the guy talking about investing in all the stuff Joe's mom loves. Please welcome Jordan Waldrop. Plus, in our headline segment, some disturbing news on the life insurance front. We'll share those numbers and solutions with a call from USAA's J.J. Montanero. Of course, we'll still throw out the Haven Lifeline, answer a letter from the mailbag, and hopefully by then, I'll be able to hypnotize everyone and suggest you make tons of wealth for yourself. And now, two guys who don't need to be hypnotized to feel very, very relaxed and sleepy, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. All you got to do for me is just put anything on television man. I'm out. You're out. Yeah. Yeah. Not for me. Cause I will get sucked into that stuff and it'll be like, okay, I can do one more. I like that okay, Seinfeld, the Seinfeld joke where his whole body's asleep except his thumb, which keeps pressing like the channel button. <laughs> so true story that actually happens to my father-in-law. Really? He'll be just out asleep and just keep clicking yeah, channels. Because you know how like at night sometimes the local channels will turn dark 
just all you know all static sometimes you can hear from the basement because all he's doing is he's got his thumb on the up button you know he needs to do then he just needs a little more uh, nutrition right a little more oomph. That's all he needs. And the way he gets it is from RX Bar. Thanks to RX Bar for supporting Stacky Benjamins. RX Bar is a whole food protein bar with no BS. Get 25% off your first order at rxbar.com slash SB and use promo code SB. That's rxbar.com forward slash SB. Promo code SB. We were just talking about RX Bars the other day. And just it's, it's funny in our running group, uh, they were just having a discussion about RX Bars. I'm like, oh, yeah, they sponsor the show. Really? Like, 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 I love how your friends have no idea what you do, which is nice. They just like you for who you are. Yes. Oh, that little, it was funny. We had, uh, we had a guy helping us set up the new internet. And as he's walking out the door, he said to Richie and I, Hey, good luck with that little radio thing you do. That little radio thing. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Appreciate it. Actually, it was really nice. You know, this is really nice saving 450 bucks. When you go to magnifymoney.com, because Magnify Money is the place where you find all of those banking products that are at your brick and mortar bank. But guess what? You find out that the ones you're using now ain't that good. Well, with over 92% of the things that are out there, whether it's checking accounts, savings accounts, cashback reward cards, consolidation loans, student loan consolidations, whatever it might be, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money gets you to all of it. We've got a great show today. We're talking vice investing, alcohol, tobacco, gambling, defense stocks, maybe some other stuff. Jordan Waldrip from the Vice Fund is here with us today. We talked a lot about impact investing recently, so I thought we'll go the other way. This is the other side of the pendulum. <laughs> All right. Investing in things that uh, that are, but it is interesting, you know, um, these vice stocks, is that a volatile place to invest or a conservative place? We'll find out from him. That'll be one question I plan to ask, uh, and how vice stocks look over long periods of time. Interesting stuff. But first we've got some very interesting headlines. So let's get the party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Forbes. My big fat divorce learning about your options through the ending of a Hollywood marriage. This is written by Heather Locus. We even talked divorce and finance recently, OG, so I thought this is timely. Uh, 2002, a very funny it's movie timely. came out. What's that? I said it's timely. What, and then I say in 2002? Well, no, you said it's timely, as in, is there something you wanted to tell me? Yeah, listen, I don't <laughs> think this is, it's me, not you. I know it is. It always is. <laughs> and we can still be friends. In 2002, a very funny movie came out. My Big Fat Greek Wedding is the story of a Greek. Did you see that movie? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably? What do you mean? Pro- maybe? That movie is so funny. It's not a forgettable movie. It was, it was I, very I, good. I, I don't think it was story good. of a Greek woman who falls in love with a non-Greek man. Hilarity ensues as they plan their wedding and meld their families and cultures. Actress Nia Vardalos wrote, produced, and starred in the film, which is loosely based on the real-life events surrounding her marriage, to Ian Gomez, who played the best man in the film. Vardalos and Gomez recently announced they're divorcing after nearly 25 years of marriage. Unfortunately, divorce is common these days. What's uncommon is the way they've seemingly chosen to divorce. In addition to the dignity and grace they're showing in their public communication of their decisions, papers filed by Vardalos and responded to by Gomez indicate they requested that spousal support be determined in mediation. 
timing's important because the IRS will not allow spousal support to be deducted for tax savings in divorces finalized after 2018. And so this thing goes over divorce mediation, which I'm not that excited about. That's more of a niche discussion for people that might be going through divorce now. And we'll have the link there in the show notes at stackybedjamins.com. But OG, there's a lot of, there's a ton of financial stuff going on in a divorce, obviously. Just my goodness, all sorts of different things. And in working with clients who have gone through this or have gone through before they started working with me, you see the ramifications of it after the fact, right? And, and some of it's really important to decide on early. One of the things you mentioned there was uh, spousal support and how that changes from a tax standpoint at the end of this year. You got to think about the kids. You got to think about your retirement plan. You got to think about uh, accrued benefits. You know, if you're still in a job that has a pension, if you're the spouse that earned it or the spouse that didn't earn it, you know, there's calculations to consider there. And then I think the other side of it is, is once everything's done, you have to go back to the drawing board on the financial plan, right? Because now you have a different trajectory than you did, you know, a year before. And that includes everything from revisiting beneficiary designations to updating your estate plan and wills and powers of attorney and all those sorts of things. I can't tell you how many times that I've sat down with somebody and you go, okay, Bob, just looking at your 401k here. Who's Nancy? And Sally's sitting across the table and Sally's like, yeah, Bob, who's Nancy? You know, (laughs) and Sally knows exactly who Nancy is. Oh yeah. The best case is that it's his mom. (laughs) You know, because he started his 401k when he was 22 and not right. married and just put mom in there. The worst case is that it's, you know, it's Nancy's ex-spouse from 11 years ago. And uh, never changed the beneficiary. Of course, a ton of horror stories about how that turns out. but um, Happens quite a bit, sadly. Uh, they have two ways that people work on divorces listed here. One is collaborative, using a team of experts to help you and your spouse come up with a creative divorce solution. This method is the same objective of working towards settlement without going to court. Each spouse retains an attorney who's well-trained in the collaborative process. Instead of sessions being led by a mediator, the negotiations occur with both spouses and both attorneys present, which is helpful when there's a significant imbalance in knowledge or power between spouses. An additional difference from mediation is that if an agreement cannot be reached, the collaborative attorneys must both withdraw from the case and each spouse must hire a new attorney to litigate the case. Holy cow, does that sound expensive? <laughs> yeah, uh, it does. While that sounds harsh, the goal is to have both spouses and both attorneys extremely motivated to come to an agreement. That is the key is mm-hmm. get it done. And man, I've had clients before that had children together, no issue. I'm thinking of one couple, children together, no issue worrying about who was going to see the kids and when, whose house the kids would live in most of the time, all of that. No problem there. No problem with the pets, but they both wanted the house. And because they both wanted to live in the house, the thing stretched out for, I'm going to say 15 months. Um, And you know what? They went through significant assets because neither one would bend on who was going to get the house. Yep. Very difficult. It's a uh, expensive process, that's for sure. Second one is traditional litigation, relying on the legal system to execute what you decided or to decide for you. In this method, both parties engage their own counsel, and often most of the communication is done between the attorneys. Possible to have a low-conflict, quick traditional divorce where the spouses negotiate the terms of the divorce 
use their attorney sparingly to advise them of the law and write up the legal agreements. It's also possible to use a mediator for specific issues on parenting or finances when you're primarily using the traditional process. However, high conflict traditional litigation is frequently the most costly and lengthy type of divorce proceeding. You retain the least amount of control as the judge has a final decision-making ability. I definitely agree that in most cases, having very little communication between the parties and mostly just the attorneys going back and forth. Historically, attorneys, and while they serve a purpose, attorneys don't get paid to do it quickly. Right. Are they uh, hourly? Aren't they? You know, don't, <laughs> right. don't most, uh, most Bill, attorneys bill by the hour? Billable hours. And it's difficult. Not saying that they're bad. I'm just saying that uh, I thought this piece was was unique because there's so many different ways to handle it. I'll link to that piece on our show notes at stackybenjamins.com. And in our second headline, new information out on a recent study says that 35% of households would have trouble paying expenses within one month, given the loss of a primary wage earner. Let's talk about this on My Dad Shortwave with our good friend, J.J. Montanero from USAA. How have you been, man? I've been doing good, Joe, doing good. And I'll tell you what, shortwave radios are not what they used to be. They, Just down and crystal clear, baby. They, they, there's been a lot of technology applied. I don't know if you've kept up, but there's been a lot of technology applied to shortwaves. <laughs> That's good stuff, good stuff. Well, this isn't good stuff, though, JJ. 35% of households having trouble paying expenses if the primary wage earner passes away. That's scary. Yeah. As you know, Joe, that was one of the things we're talking about is, hey, you probably got married. You might have bought a house, had a child, changed jobs over the last few years or at least since you last looked at your life insurance. And so it's worth looking at so you don't end up in a situation like that, which to me, having to deal with financial obligations and not being able to meet them within a month when you're trying to cope with everything else that goes on when something like that happens, it's just, uh, it's just not a good thing. You've seen some of the ugliness around the statistics about people not buying life insurance. Why the heck don't people buy life insurance? Who wants to talk about death? Who wants to think about death? And who has death right in their face? Well, generally, if you're healthy, nobody because it's just not a very exciting topic. And it's easy when we have all these competing challenges to look at other things and, and, and work with paying our bills, maybe even saving or investing, as opposed to dealing with the tough topic. And there's a lot of misconceptions, too, out there in terms of how much it's going to cost, how much time it's going to take. So I think there's a lot of roadblocks in terms of life insurance, and that's why we see those numbers. When a financial planner like you sits down with somebody, JJ, and you're looking at a plan, where do you start on deciding how much life insurance is the right amount? I think we start with the goals because while there are a lot of, you'll hear rules of thumb out there, 10 times your income or eight times or 15 times. To me, as a financial planner, what I want to understand is what's going on. What would you like to see happen if something unthinkable were to happen? And so that could mean what debt you'd like to see paid off what kind of income replacement you'd like to see and for how long do you want to fund the kids going through college? What other goals do you have? So I think if we really drill down into the details in terms of what somebody's trying to accomplish, then we can do a good job in creating the right type of life insurance plan. Any, any stereotypes around life insurance that just drive you crazy? You've got to have one or two. 
Yeah, I think the the hard part is really the funny one because it used to be back in the day, and I know you you probably in your day wrote some life insurance policies. It used to be an onerous task with stacks of paper, trips back and forth, trying to get the client to resign what they missed, put the initials where they didn't get them. So there's no doubt uh, historically it's been a, a tough task to apply for insurance. But we just had our second grandchild, about to date myself, this last month, and I sat down with my daughter and said, "Hey." You guys need to get life insurance. You ignored me last time. We've also got a two-and-a-half-year-old grandchild. This time you need to do it. And she literally on the phone filled out the application all on her phone in five minutes while we were sitting there with Dad looking over her shoulder. So it's not that hard. And and the other thing in terms of misconceptions would apply that was a surprise for her is just the cost. As you know, term term life insurance is really inexpensive. Her and her husband, both around 30, a half a million dollars coverage each was about $60 total per month. So not, not a lot of cost for a lot of coverage. I'm still stuck on J.J. Montanero as a grandfather. Hey, you stick with that stuck on that thought because I, I still have a hard time when I hear it. <laughs> turning my head and, and acknowledging that that is me. You're going to spoil that kid rotten, JJ. I'll tell you what, grandkids, they're fun. I mean, you can spoil them rotten and feel good about it. Yeah. Uh, you guys have some great tools at USAA. Tell me where I can find those. Yeah. If you go to USAA.com forward slash life, there's a life insurance calculator that will walk you through a calculation to help you get things right based on your own personal situation. So USAA.com forward slash life. And you know what? If you're walking the dog or on your commute, we will have a link to that on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. JJ, thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes today. All right. Great to see you, even though I didn't really get to see you on this radio. Next time I'm going to see you. I hope so. Thanks a lot. All right. Take care. Thanks again to JJ. JJ's such a cool guy. OG. The big thing, though, here, it's so frustrating to see people that don't buy life insurance because they think it's more expensive than it is. And they think that, uh, that it's not going to happen to them. Kind of dovetail on that too. I read an article, I think in the wall street journal a week or so ago about how still, even after catastrophe of the hurricanes and tropical storms last year in Texas and the previous decade in the Gulf coast and Florida and that sort of stuff, still the vast majority of people don't have adequate replacement insurance for their house or flood insurance kind of for the same reasons. Like, well, you know, it probably costs a lot. Probably, probably will take a long time to get. That's so painful. It's frustrating when people look at their house insurance premium or life insurance premium or whatever and say, oh, well, it costs me a thousand dollars a year and your solution costs me 1500. So yours is worse because it's more expensive. It's like, well, yeah, you get way more coverage, right? right? Like right. You, you actually get to cover your house. Well, I mean, what are the chances of a 50 inches of rain happening in four days? I mean, you know, pretty remote, right? Nope. It happened. So. It, it, it was so painful to watch. And sadly, people setting themselves up for failure again. But I can see why they do it. I mean, it was always my clients that that were just barely making ends meet that always wanted to skimp on their insurance. And sadly, those are the people that need it the most, right? You can self-insure and have a big emergency fund after you build that foundation. But before you build that foundation, cutting the corners often ends up in just catastrophe. I just had a uh, client talk to me about their cash reserve because they felt it was high enough and it was. And she said, you know, I want to take 
some of that and invest it because it just seems like it's not working and we're behind our savings goals and we're getting started late and we need every dollar working hard. And I said, absolutely, positively, no, that can't happen. You have to play the game the right way. And the right way is to make sure that you've got an emergency fund funded because if you don't then the whole rest of the house is built on shaky ground just sand yeah and it will just collapse the first thing that happens i mean i've had that happen in my life right where i'm like i'm a financial planner i know how to invest money and then i'm like ah oh, crap i need that five grand right <laughs> you know right duh, have a cash reserve and at the very you least you've got the it. trading fee whatever that might be to get at your money hey i do have a question there uh gregory in our facebook group asked this recently. He said he is a friend who invested her cash reserve, but put it in the stock market and put stop losses on everything so that if it goes down, you know, they, uh, they don't get the downside, but they get the upside. What do you think about that? I already said, God, no. <laughs> well, I I'm mean, just thinking about how, how that would work because, because it, it, your stop loss has to be far enough away that it doesn't automatically sell the first time the stock market wiggles a little bit. Yeah. What is your stop loss at? 5%? Well, that's still a catastrophic loss in a cash reserve, right? When you can get two in your savings account right now. Plus, if you haven't figured it out yet, stop losses don't guarantee that price, right? In a free falling market, you just get in the queue to sell. You know, now if it's just a normal trade, Right. It's like, hey, it's just a normal day. So be it. And it triggers, you know, you'll probably get stopped out at whatever pretty close to your stop loss number. But if it's a stock like Lehman Brothers and you say, I don't want to go below 20 bucks. Well, it just might happen that the next trade is at eight. It goes 20, then eight and you get it at eight, you know, and there's no guarantee that that happens. We just saw that most recently with the Brexit thing a couple of years ago. Remember that? Yeah. where the stock market fell through the floor. A lot of people had stop losses, sold way below their stop loss. And then before they even had a chance to get back in, market was up well above where they, where they sold. Yeah, just because there's, you know, two days of volatility or something. Yeah. You can't game the system. You just, you have to, if you're behind in your investing plan, you're behind because, you know, it took you a little longer to get started or whatever. You got to take your medicine. You got to make it up by saving more, not by going, well, I'm going to try to get 13% a year on my money. That's how I'm going to catch up. I think that's lesson number one. We probably have three lessons today. Lesson number two from JJ Montanero from USAA is life insurance. Uh, get it. Get it. Absolutely. If you are somebody supporting a family, especially. And then the third lesson from our first piece, if you're going through divorce, I know it's an emotional time. But you got to try to keep your wits about you so that it doesn't end up also being a financial disaster for everybody involved. Jordan Walder up upstairs talking to mom. I love this guy. He is with the Dallas-based Vice Fund. You may have read his Forbes column. Jordan is the senior portfolio manager of the Vice Fund. Previously, he was a founder and principal at Blackfin Capital, acting as a portfolio manager of two equity portfolios. He also served as a principal at Hourglass Capital, 
where he's responsible for research and trading in a long short hedge fund and several equity portfolios. He has his MBA from the University of Texas, Macomb School of Business. Hook him. There you go. And his bachelor's degree from Texas A&M. But, but how do you go to A&M and then go to Texas? I mean, doesn't it seem like uh, the, the, those two schools not very friendly toward each other? But uh, maybe we'll skip asking him that. But let's ask him about investing in vices. Say hello to Jordan Walder. And coming down the stairs, Jordan Waldrop. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty well. Happy to be here. I'm so happy that you made your way just a couple hours over to Texarkana to hang out with us. I have to ask you about your career because I wonder how a guy goes, you know what? Vice stocks, that's for me. That was a journey. That was definitely a journey. I actually started off on the biotech and healthcare side of the business. And I started working at a smaller firm doing research into dividend stocks. I was just attracted to that value aspect of it. I also, you know, one time bought a biotech stock that I think went down 30% in a day. It's not uncommon in that space. And I just don't like having that happen to me. So I just got more attracted to the value side of the business, the dividend side of the business. And there's a lot of these kind of vice type names in there. And, you know, when this opportunity came along to manage the vice fund, I jumped all over it because it just kind of intersected with that area of the market I like to invest in. It's so interesting because I think when people think vice, they think volatility just in their head. Oh, no, you got to be a volatile person to drink or smoke all the time or whatever it might be, whatever your vice might be, gamble. But when I look at you on Morningstar and I look at that the long-term volatility numbers, these are really not very volatile stocks when you compare them to the S&P 500. No, they aren't. They aren't. And uh, there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of them could be because they have high dividends. That helps to stabilize the stock. One of the biggest reasons is that a lot of these the people who are buying these products are consistent in good times and in bad. So earnings are more predictable, which means that, you know, if you know what's going to happen a little better, you can price it a little better, which means there's less volatility in the stock. Makes it a little safer from that perspective. Yeah, that was kind of surprising to me. And dividends, what's your average dividend in the portfolio? It varies pretty widely. I would say on average, you're talking about a you know 1% dividend yield. Most of the gaming stocks, they don't pay any dividends, but some of the tobacco stocks are five and a half percent. I was going to ask you about that next, Jordan, that just the different types of stocks that we're talking about. Give us some names that either have been in the portfolio or that you look at, or it might be in the portfolio now. Well, as far as names that are in the portfolio, you know, the Vice Fund focuses on four areas. You've got alcohol, which, you know, those are things like Heineken, Diageo, Brown Foreman, Stars, uh, sorry, Stars, Constellation. Uh, always refer to it by the symbol, can't help it. <laughs> then you've got, you know, gaming. You're talking about the big boys there. Las Vegas Sands, Wynn Casinos, MGM. In defense, you're talking, again, we, we tend to focus on the bigger names. You know, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman. And then tobacco is our fourth one. And you've got Philip Morris and Altria basically are the leaders there. But we have investments overseas there as well because there's some opportunities there. Can we dive into those those areas just a little bit? Because I'm interested in where you see those kind of going. First of all, let's talk about alcohol since you brought that up first. Beer, you've got this big craft brewing f thing going on. I mean, I can't go to another town without having to stop and try out their local brews. How's that changing? How, well, how's that changing the game? Well, it depends on where you're looking, right? So with alcohol in particular, there's a big market that's opening up in Asia, emerging markets. That's driving specific names. When you're talking about the craft brewery movement here in the United States, 
that's that's a bad thing for a lot of big players. Molson Coors is taking more and more share every year of the light beer market as it shrinks. I don't want to be in that business. That's that's a tough spot to be in. But Heineken, they've got great opportunities overseas and in, in South America. Diageo, you're talking about more on the spirit side, but there's opportunities there as people are getting better better incomes, more middle class, more urban in, in Asia. What about the wine business? More and more of my friends seem to be up on wine than they used to be. You know, there's that comedian, Jim Gaffigan, that said kind of famously, if I know all the names of the wines on the wine list at a restaurant, does that make me an alcoholic? I think lately, lately the answer is probably no. <laughs> well, that uh, I appreciate Jim Gaffigan quite a bit. That was a good reference there. The, uh, the thing about wine is that it is the most popular beverage pretty much among millennials. Millennials are the largest consumer group in the United States. They're bigger than the baby boomers. And so there are names that we can invest in that are levered to that, that taste profile. And that means something like Constellation Brand. When it comes to uh, hard alcohols, what's changing mm-hmm. there? The big thing that's changing there is you have a move with the craft cocktail movement, similar to the craft beer movement. But the difference is where people are pursuing these more interesting, more developed flavors, they're still buying the big brands. So these are big, generationally established brands. You can't make a new Campari. You know, you can't make a new Johnny Walker. And you can make smaller ones and try and make them grow into something. But it's very difficult to have a Tito's come out in the bourbon space. You know, these are established names. These are products that take a long time to make. And you can't just jump in. Two guys who like to brew beer can go start a craft brewery. You can't do that with bourbon. And you can't do that with tequila. Doesn't stop mom from trying, though, dude. No, no. Especially those Baptist moms. That's right. Absolutely. So many jokes there. It's so little time. Yeah, we'll just let it go. We have another podcast that's a five-day-a-week, very short show called Money in the Morning, and we did this headline that I'm sure you saw, and I read about you talking about distilleries on uh, on Forbes, where you write often. It was a story about a distillery where a wall fell, and you might have seen this story. A wall fell, and they had to test the river. Apparently, the fish had a really good day that day, or a really bad day, depending on how it went. But then the second wall fell. I believe just last week. And I'm wondering when you see news like that, if you are either a shareholder of that company or you're evaluating that company, what does news like that mean? Well, when you're talking about a situation where it's a limited product, the thing that happened there, I believe that was in Kentucky. It right? was that in, was a, that's right. It was in Kentucky. Uh, and it was, a, it was a bourbon storage facility. What that matters is that those products, you can't make them tomorrow. You know, if you want to make vodka, we can up, ramp up on production. We can have a, a giant vodka supply available in weeks, you know, basically. Order your ethanol from MCI products and you're, you're ready to go. With bourbon, it's different. You've got to wait six years just to have the product to mix together to ship off if it's going to be bourbon, typically. I mean, you can do it in two, but it takes longer. And that limit in production, same way with scotch these, or same way with some of these tequilas, it makes it to where the pricing is important. There's a price point where you know, people are going to seek out other products. But when you have something like that, it's good for other producers. Other producers I mean they get to drive up their price a little bit. Oh, that's interesting. So you look at other names then and say, well, maybe other people are going to benefit because of this. Right, because there's only a certain amount of bourbon available. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky has tripled their bourbon production in the last 18 years. And that's not to say anything about the bourbon production that's around the country. We just passed the 1968, I think, record. A production in, in bourbon, and there's no end in sight on that stuff. 
Let's move on to gaming. I just got back from a trip to Las Vegas. Very happy to report that I beat the odds, which uh, does does happen every once in a while. Uh, So that means I made like four bucks, which I, you know, promptly turned around and spent in a restaurant somewhere that's run by the same (laughs) gaming company. Where do you see that moving as we see gaming in different states now? You're in Dallas, just north of you. There's a huge casino, huge casinos moving all around the U.S. and elsewhere. You look at uh, uh, Macau, other gaming centers. What's going on there? There's really three big things driving gaming. The first one's Macau. People have heard about it. It's a big deal. When Macau first you know, liberalized their process, they were doing $2.2 billion in revenue back in 2002. They're doing $33 billion now. And that, I mean, it's volatile because it's China, but it does appear to continue to be growing. Uh, you have, the second thing you have, you just had legalized sports betting in the United States. There's a lot of debate right now about how big that's going to be, but it's somewhere on the order of 38 to $50 billion in revenue in total possible. That's if every state had it, right? So that gives us an idea of the capacity. So there's a good opportunity there. And then the third thing that's going on is Japan. No one talks about this, but Japan's in the process of legalizing casino gaming. Oh. Yeah. That's a big O. That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that could be anywhere between $10 billion and $28 billion, depending on the estimates. That's saying we're going to add a Las Vegas or add a Macau to the gaming industry. And there's only a few of these companies that can really benefit in all three areas. Those are the big international casinos. And those are big tailwinds for these guys' earnings long term. Is it worrisome or good news that there's been so much consolidation over the last decade or two in Vegas? I was told by someone recently, and this is colloquial, I wish I had a place, Jordan, where I could look this stuff up and see if it's factually correct before I ask you, if only I had a way. But someone told me when I was just in Vegas, there's really, what, like three names that control most of the Las Vegas casino industry. That's absolutely correct. You have uh, MGM, you have Las Vegas stands, you have Wynn. You have Caesars that okay. captures a large percentage of it. When you talk about Macau, there are legally only six companies there. There's 46 or so actual casinos there, but there's only six companies that represents. So it is concentrated. And while that is a problem, maybe from a, I don't know, from some perspectives, the reality is, is that with these tailwinds and these opportunities and the fact that these casinos take a lot of money to, to build. It makes it to where they're a little bit more predictable for me. I don't have to worry about someone opening a poorly themed casino anymore, like happened prior to 9-11 with uh, the New Sands Casino that ended up being the Planet Hollywood Casino, I believe. Yeah. Converted. yeah. So that's less of a problem now because they aren't going to take those type of chances. I took some money from Planet Hollywood, by the way. I'm not sure if it'll show up on the balance sheet at the end. But <laughs> it'll be a line item, I'm sure. It probably note. is. Send it off with Joe back to Texas. <laughs> right? And there goes the stock. Brian immediately. Right. Brian well, immediately that that has been known to happen in Macau. That's the crazy thing. In Macau, 50% of their revenues or more come from VIP Baccarat. Wow. Yes. So $33 billion, you're talking... You know, 16 and a half billion of just guys walking in and playing Baccarat. And that they've had quarters where they've missed earnings because some guy walked in and was playing big hands and walked out a big winner. And that's that's the risk you have there because it is so concentrated in those particular games. Is there any good news at all these days in tobacco? It's cheap. That's the best news I can tell you. One of the things that has happened here, particularly last quarter, is we had a sell off in the space that was driven by a few things. But to me right now, they have really gotten down to a a level that's difficult for them to sell off much 
further on the, the bigger names. Philip Morris is trading at a price where it's yielding 5.5%. Altria is yielding 4.5%. These companies aren't going anywhere. They've been losing numbers of cigarettes for decades. They've been losing market share for people quitting for decades, except for the fact that the largest group of smokers by per, in, the, in the country by cohort are millennials. Really? Yes. There was a recent study. He said they are 23% or so of millennials, and they also hide it. They also have the highest level of hiding it, which that's also understandable. But the next cohort up was 22% or 23%. It's in the same range, but it's not like millennials aren't smoking. You also have new products that are coming out that have some interesting impacts on the space. Heat not burn products like IQOS cigarettes from Philip Morris, Plume Tech from Japan Tobacco. These are products that don't burn tobacco. And so when you're smoking a cigarette, it's not the nicotine that causes cancer. It's the products from the burning. So these products just heat the tobacco up. They don't burn it. In theory, that makes it to where there's lower carcinogens. Fine. There are new products coming. Whether or not they're safer or not, I'll let the FDA decide that. But there could change the way this business works. And the final thing that's happening in tobacco space that people get excited about, and no one really, really wants to talk about it, is marijuana's coming. Right. That is going to be a legal business at some point. And when it is legal, tobacco is ideally positioned to move into that space to be the, I mean, Philip Morris can step in and be the Bud Light, if you will, of marijuana pretty quickly in my mind. They already have the manufacturing systems in place. Well, for making particular types of products, yes. And the processing and the relationships in farming, the ability to deal with excise taxes, limited marketing, dealing with government regulations. I mean, the distribution system, they're well positioned. And Philip Morris... Altria, sorry, domestic. Altria did 126 billion cigarettes, I want to say, in 2015. They did 116 billion in 2017. That's 10 billion cigarettes just gone that they could do other things with if they wanted to. Wow. Uh, defense. We didn't talk at all about, about defense yet. Obviously, right now, we seem to have a lot of tension around the world. It seems like uh, we're also having these NATO discussions as we record this. How much does that change your view of defense? Or are you more of a long-term defense is going to be defense is going to be defense? I'm more of a long-term because I'm investing in big trends. That's where I can know something a little easier. I try to avoid the noise month to month, summit to summit, if you will, in this space. Is it probably uh, better, by the way? Well, the reality is, is that so we recently had the NATO summit. There was demands that our NATO allies increase their spending. The 2% mark was discussed of GDP. That's nothing new. I mean, this is something that people are talking about now as if President Trump went in there and started rattling cages, demanding people spend more money. This started a few years ago. This has been a long-term complaint. And in 2000, I want to say 14, there was an agreement that they came to, or you know, informally, to raise spending. And there was goals set. And I believe the numbers were, it was three countries out of NATO were spending 2% of GDP at the time. And it wasn't the three you'd want. You know, it was like Greece and Turkey and, I don't know, Great, Great Britain, I think, was under France. Of course, it would be Greece. I mean, not to get political, yeah. but that's where all the money is. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. Well, when you only do 3% of 50 bucks. Right. Uh, so they, they're they on pace, I believe, to hit eight this year. So eight countries to hit that, that 2% mark. That was on a recent uh, study that was done, I don't know, five months ago. They said they looked like eight per, that eight would hit it. And the goal is to have 15 hit it by 2024 or so. So this was already in place a while back, you know, more spending by NATO allies just means more money being spent in the space. There's, that means defense contractors in those countries will have opportunities. But a lot of times 
when Sweden orders a helicopter, it comes from United Technologies in parts, and then they assemble it there, and it's the Swedish version. But it's still an American contract, you know. So this type of thing is a good opportunity for these companies to expand their uh, markets. The U.S. is spending more on defense anyway. I mean, President Trump asked for a 10% increase in military spending uh, last year. He got 18, and a lot of that is long-term projects that are. You know, F-35, B-21, the Virginia-class submarine, the next generation of aircraft carrier. These are big projects that are going to go on for decades. So it's a growing space. And that's to say nothing about cyber warfare as well, which is just another one that's growing 30 35% a year, basically, as far as spending. Yeah, I can't. I, I mean, that's a whole different... I mean, we, you and I could sit and have a whole... 20 minute discussion just about that one area alone. And yep. we're barely touching it. Uh, the ticker symbol for the Vice Fund, if you want to check it out, is V I C E X. Your fund has very low turnover, and turnover for people who don't know what that is, is buying and selling. You guys don't do a lot of that. Why is that? Well, part of that is my approach. I mean, it's been higher in the past. I'm investing in long term trends. I'm looking in these four spaces and I'm looking at what is driving gaming? What is driving alcohol? What is driving you know, these, these names? I'm looking for what's expensive and what's cheap and trying to adjust the portfolio there. But most of the time, I just want to be in the right names. And I feel like I've found them. I don't it, need to trade around. <laughs> it, it seems like, no, that's a great answer because I think that's, that's the approach I think most of our listeners should even take, right? Don't mm -hmm. worry about these short-term things. I love when you said that because it's a great lesson. I think too many individuals think they have to trade all the time. And when I talk to a pro like you, you don't trade all the time. Why should my buddy down the road be trading his stocks every third day based on what the dude in the next cubicle is telling him to do? I really think one of the hardest things to do in this business, especially for someone in my position as a portfolio manager, is to sit there and watch the market all day, every day, but take the long-term view. It's looking at the trees in the forest all the time and trying to keep it as a big picture. It's very different. It's a, one of the hardest things to do. Your fund in this super up market we've had right now, Morningstar, for better or worse, compares you to the S&P 500. So yep. based on the conversation we've had, you're going to lag the S&P 500. I imagine based on the defensive tack that you've taken that we've talked about and the type of stocks these are, where you've gotten it back over Cause when I look at your long-term track record, Jordan, uh, I mean, long-term track record numbers are fantastic. I guess that's because when the market goes down, you guys don't go down as far. Is that why? No, it's not really that. Honestly, it's, there are big growth trends in these spaces. These emerging market stories that I talked about earlier. Yeah. I mean, China is about is, is, is right now passing the United States as the biggest middle-class spending country in the world, not per capita, but in total. India is going to pass us by 2030. That's an enormous number of people making more money and spending more. And they're not buying iPhones. They're buying a beer. Yeah. They're opening a bank account. They're, they're, they're buying a bottle of scotch. These companies have great growth opportunities. And they're kind of ignored because they're a little socially taboo. They tend to be a little cheaper than the market. So we're getting growth on the cheap. And while we're concentrated and that'll cause us to dis, you know, disconnect from the market at times, the overall trends and the overall opportunities are there. And we're very positive about our future in the vice fund with the names we have. Yeah. Well, I love talking to you about it. Anytime we get to talk about alcohol and gaming and have some fun with all, with all that stuff, you know, we can leave defense for another day. That's not as fun. I, it's just not, it's not the one that is as, as entertaining to have a beer over, right? <laughs> Absolutely right. <laughs> Is there anything changing with the Vice Fund, anything about your approach that uh, is maybe new or new ideas? 
Well, there's something we've been following for quite some time as we've been watching the developing interest in the cannabis market. And while we're not going to make marijuana the fifth vice, if you will, anytime soon, we have started investing in the space. Where it's legal, where it is, uh, uh, the stocks are legal, we have started looking at trying to find the right names that would fit with our approach. So we've recently opened four or five positions in Canada in the legal Canadian marijuana market. And our focus is on the companies that have international reach because this is a Western world trend. The trends towards legalization for medical or for recreational just offers a tremendous opportunity. And Canada next year, in the next couple of years, should be a seven to eight billion dollar market there. That's fine. But what I'm thinking about long term with these names is who can compete in the United States? Who can compete in Germany? Who can compete in Australia? Because these markets are opening up. They're not opening up the same way, but we want to have the names that can benefit from it. Cannabis already legal in those countries you mentioned? In various states, between levels levels of legality, depending on medical or with, uh, well, Canada is the only one that's where it's legal from a recreational perspective, other than I think Uruguay, but they're the first G7 country. So it's, the, it's a step in the direction that the trend looks like we're going to. Awesome. By the way, if anybody wants to check out the Vice Fund, I'll have a link to uh, the Vice Fund in our show notes page at stackybedjamins.com. Jordan, thanks for coming down and hanging out with us for a few minutes. It's been my pleasure. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And in a second, we'll tackle your trivia question. But first, it's here. I have in my hot little hands the Idiot's Guide to Hypnosis. Okay, so let's try this. Get some beads yada 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 oh here it is slowly move the beads back and forth in front of the subject's eyes yeah okay oh hey here's a hypnosis meets business question for you what field used often in the sales community and developed by a couple of researchers named bandler and grinder in the 70s emphasizes tactics from hypnosis like mirroring suggestion and colors I'll be back with the answer just after I finish chapter three of this book, teaching people to squawk like a duck while hypnotized. It's going to be awesome. Thanks to RX Bar for supporting Stacking Benjamins. It's funny because on a day like today where I'm getting ready to leave for Philadelphia as we record this, I'm in Philly, by the way, as you're listening to this, I immediately grab for an RX bar because I have 57,000 things to do and I need to get the right things in me, but I don't have a lot of time. RX bar is a protein bar made with 100% whole ingredients and no BS, no bad stuff like added sugar, artificial colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. It's made with 100% whole ingredients, a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose, like the egg whites are for protein, dates to bind, nuts for texture, and other delicious ingredients like unsweetened chocolate, real fruit, and spices like sea salt or cinnamon. RX bars are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free. mentioned before that there's no added sugar, colors, artificial flavors, preservatives, fillers, RX bars come in 14 delicious flavor varieties, whether you like sweet or savory, chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX bar for you. It's funny for me, it depends on the day. I'll go sweet and savory sometimes, chocolate on others, fruit on others. It, it totally depends. Real fruit ingredients actually taste really good and you can actually taste the 
cocoa, the real fruit, the spices like sea salt. So for breakfast on the go, like I had today, snacks at the office to push you through your 3 p.m. slump, throwing it in your bag for the plane, tossing it in your backpack for a bike ride or hike, a pre or post-workout snack. It's always for me, either just before a long run or just after one of our speed workouts. RX bars are perfect for you. Here's the cool thing. For our Stacking Benjamins family, you'll get 25% off your first order at rxbar.com forward slash SB and use the promo code SB at checkout. That's rxbar.com forward slash SB, promo code SB. And once again, if it's your first order, you can take 25% off. How about that? We're also brought to you by Magnify Money. You know, our friends like Nick over at Magnify Money, they know what it's like to go into a brick and mortar bank and to get the wrong things because Nick used to work in the credit card industry. He used to work in the big banking industry. He knows exactly where the ball is and he knows how you can win, which is why at Magnify Money, there's over 92% of all of those different products that you use every day to do better with your money. So instead of walking into the brick and mortar bank and saying, what do you got? Magnify Money helps you very quickly Compare, ditch, switch, and save when it comes to anything money-related, whether it's your savings account, your checking account. Maybe you need to refinance those student loans. Maybe it's time to stop paying so much interest to the man and consolidate your debt and get a real debt strategy in place. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money to check it out. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and this is a great book. I'm going to get OG to walk around the basement like a duck. Better yet, every time someone says the word mutual fund, he's going to start crowing like a rooster. (laughs) Oh, my God. It's going to be so good. Okay. All right. Okay. First, your trivia answer. The question was this. What field, used often in the sales community and developed by researchers Bandler and Grinder in the 70s, emphasize tactics from hypnosis like mirroring, suggestion, and colors. The answer? While largely disproven by the scientific community, many salespeople still use suggestive techniques from a field called uh, neuro-linguistic programming. Neuro-linguistic programming. That's a hard thing to say. Speaking of programming, let's work on how we'll program OG to squawk like a rooster every time someone says the words mutual fund. Okay, yeah, let's see here. Page 37. Wave the beads back and forth slowly in front of the subject's eyes. Okay, man, that's that's really making me feel relaxed. It's kind of nice. Keep going. Okay. Telling them that they're getting sleepy. Okay, yeah, you're getting sleepy. Yep, I'm, I'm getting sleepy. Okay, now put the suggestion in their brain. Got it written right here. Whenever anyone says the word mutual fund, you'll squawk like a chicken. Okay. Wow, I'm, I'm really feeling this. Okay, snap your fingers. All right, now to practice on OG, this whole mutual fund. Cock-a-doodle-doo! Oh, shit, I just hypnotized myself. Mother God! Cock! Thanks to Jordan for stopping by. Hey, OG, you ever use NLP or learn NLP? Uh, not formally, but... Just the kind of the Tony Robbins stuff? Yeah. 
Yeah. It's funny reading the Tony Robbins books, the early Tony Robbins books really go over NLP. And even though they say that uh, scientifically, a lot of it doesn't work, I think for some people, it gives you a little more confidence when you know that you're kind of not just in the meeting, you're also orchestrating your meeting. I always felt like, and I think anybody who's in there, you know, operating in their unique ability feels this way, almost like they're observing themselves yes. doing the thing that they're doing. Like they're yes. so, they're so in the zone that they can like put half their brain on, Hey, I'm going to orchestrate this, you know, in my case, conversation with a client about, you know, retirement planning or whatever. But on the other half of my brain, I can stand in the corner and observe the behaviors of the clients and how they're interacting with the dialogue and all that sort of stuff. And, and, and I think anybody would tell you that in their unique ability. Tom Brady probably is like, Oh yeah. In the fourth quarter of that Super Bowl, I was just like out there, you know, thrown in the backyard. Yeah. He but, sees, uh, he sees the cornerback on the left side flinch the wrong way. And he all of a sudden realizes what type of a defense they're in because he's played so many games. Yeah. Yeah. He's just next level stuff. So I think NLP is kind of that in, in some regards, yeah, yeah. kind of, kind of being in your own mind strong enough to to step out of your own mind. I don't know how to say it. I think that was kind of my point was that even though uh, pieces have been disproven, I don't think if somebody listening is in sales, that would dissuade me from learning it. I think it's still some some powerful stuff. Well, you know, I mean, something as simple as what color do you use on the whiteboard or on the proposal? When you write a paper for English class, your teacher, your English professor does not highlight everything in blue that you did wrong. Right. Right. They redline it. That's actually a saying, you know, when you go into Microsoft Word and you edit something that's redlined. So, you know, there's something that draws your attention to, oh goodness, there's something incorrect here. And so, you know, if you're writing on the whiteboard for a sales presentation and it's and in you red wanna, and you want to draw your attention to it or you want somebody to feel negative towards something randomly grab the color red. That stuff is legit. Stop signs aren't green. Which on the other side, when we talk about investing and I go to the whiteboard, I write nothing in red. I mean, I write it all in green. Yeah. Or blue or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and we'll tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friend, we've been talking a lot about life insurance today, which we don't get to do very much. It's awesome. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on those two things you value most. Is it okay to say whiskey and gambling? <laughs> I think, I think based so. on our based hey, on our guest today, it totally seems not as volatile as you may think it is. Might be volatile on your liver and your pocketbook, but liver, not yeah. not volatile on your portfolio. But it's actually your family and your time. And that's why they created a simple way to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free estimate for coverage and to learn about life insurance the modern way. And it's interesting. You look at the prices at a place like Haven Life, to JJ's point earlier, and you look at also how fast it goes. Our friend Kurt in the basement Facebook group talking about recently going through the Haven Life process OG and just how simple it was. And uh, yep. e even though he heard us say it over and over again, apparently Kurt's a doubter because <laughs> Kurt's yep. like, wow, anybody, anybody realize how fast that was? Uh, yes. That's why we asked them to sponsor this segment. Uh, Tyler wants us to throw out the Haven Lifeline to him today. Say hi, Tyler. 
Hi, Joe and OG. My name is Tyler. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. My Thanks. wife is going back to school to get her master's degree starting in about a month. We are planning to pay for it out of pocket and are curious if it makes sense to open a 529 plan for her since we can receive a 20% tax credit up to $1,000. Note that we will already get a $720 credit from the $3,600 we are putting into our daughter's 529 plan this year. Can we put the money into the 529 for my wife and then turn right around and pay for school out of it to get the credit? Is there anything I'm missing? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. Yeah, I think um, what you're talking about is some states offer a tax deduction uh, contributions to 529s. Some states are at 2000 bucks. Some states are at 4000 And it's not a tax credit per se. You're thinking more tax deduction. So, ta- so it's a small difference, right? Well, tax, actually, I was going to so say- Small but huge difference, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, nomenclature if, really matters here. If you can get a tax credit, you want to try to get that very often because yes. a tax credit is dollar for dollar savings on the tax bill that you owe. A deduction is just going to make your income smaller, which means less money at the top bracket. Okay, take it from here. That's all I had. I just oh, just sorry. Just I, I felt read, excited out of Investopedia. No, I'm looking <laughs> right at you. I'm looking right at you across the table. Why do you do that? That's great. I was well, excited that I could help you out. You had an answer. You're like, go call on me. Call on me. I know this <laughs> one. All right, Billy, go ahead. Anyways, so, yes, tax credits, tax deductions. Your state probably offers a tax deduction, although maybe it's a tax credit. I'm not sure. If your state offers a tax credit, gobble that up. If it offers a tax deduction, gobble that up. Take it. I don't see any problem with doing this. Do you? I mean, there's no seasoning rules in 529s. There's nothing to say that you got to put the money in and let it sit there until a certain period of time. They're good for any person. So open a 529, put your thousand bucks in it. Write it off on your taxes, take your thousand bucks out, pay the tuition. I at like the, it. At this point, he's pretty much laundering his <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> just laundering but his money you through it. You know, you again, since you need the money tomorrow, you can't invest it, right? It's got to stay in the stable fund or whatever. Yeah. Um the big issue I wouldn't, I wouldn't do anything beyond the tax deduction amount because I'm not sure that there's huge benefits there, but the big issue here in my head is some five twenty nine plans have uh, front end fees. So if he's got front end or back end fees to, to, to put the money in or take it out, I wouldn't do that 529 plan. In some states, you know, you have to be in that state's plan. Yeah, so you got to be in their plan. So yeah, read through the fine print and find out what the cost of new money is, right? Yeah, the cost benefit. And then the second thing is if you do the math and you're really not going to get that much money in a tax break, then you start looking at the, the, the value of your time. And is oh. it really worth your time? Well, and remember that 529 plans are reimbursement plans, technically, right? So while I've never run into any problem ever getting money out of a 529, you have to technically prove that you spent it already. And so it can be very frustrating, you know, if you were to get audited or something like that. Not that you haven't spent the money, but you have to keep all this record keeping and stuff like that for a while. So not hard to do, but yeah. Thanks for the question, Tyler. Guess what? Tyler's getting the Haven Life Stacky Benjamin's Greatest Money Show on Earth t-shirt. And yes, all you have to do is ask your question via the Haven Lifeline. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash questions gets you there. Click that link and you'll see the Haven Lifeline. Also, we give that away to even do our Friday callers if you do it that way. Doug also just brought down the mail. I love the fact 
that Doug seems to be super interested in mutual funds lately. <laughs> that just never gets old. This letter comes to us from Paul. Hey, Joe and OG, I'm hoping you can answer a question that I have been unable to find the answer to online. I'm 44 years old and I have my retirement at 55. I'm considering taking advantage of the IRS's separation from service rule. However, most of the 401k funds are still in a prior employer plan. I left the money there since my prior employer was a large company and had very low expense ratios in the funds inside the plan. My current employer is smaller and fees in the plan are higher. Anyway, in order to take advantage of the separation from service rule, does my separation have to be from the employer whose 401k plan I intend to draw from? If I have to roll my money to my current employer's plan before separating, that's fine. However, would it need to be there for a certain period of time before I storm out of the office? I mean, separate from service. By the way, your show is the best. I haven't learned anything yet except how to pronounce bloom, but I'm holding out hope. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for the letter, Paul. OG? Yep. It's got to be the company that you're separating from. So he's got it nailed completely. No time limit on, on again, seasoning the money like we talked about with the 529 a second ago. Just roll so, it over there, leave it in cash. Well, I mean, not in cash, right? You want to invest it like your normal asset allocation would be. Well, right, but if but, he's taking uh, that money to live on right now was my point. And, he's, and oh, he's, trying to get around, he's trying to get around the hurdle of... Yeah, I understand. But all that money will be, you know, let's say that he's got at 55 a million dollars, right? And 300,000 is in the new plan, 700,000 is in the old plan. You're going to convert that 700,000 into the new plan. You're not going to keep 700,000 in cash. You're just going to keep whatever you need for distributions for a little while. But he's already separated from service from the old company. Why wouldn't you just say, hey, I separated from service. I'm taking it out of that one. Because it's, you have to leave in your 55th year or later because he's already out and he's 40. Yeah. So. Gotcha. Thanks for the question, Paul. You've got a question for us. Head to stackybenjamins.com. By the way, the uh, Haven Lifeline, we're catching up on quickly because we have been recording ahead. So if you're looking at having us answer your question quickly, that's the number one place to go. StackyBenjamins.com, and you'll see the questions tab across the top. Last thing here, if you're looking for good financial help in your corner, OG's taking clients. So head to StackyBenjamins.com, letter O, letter G, and that will lead you to his calendar, and you can begin talking about getting your house in order, whether it's with mutual funds or whatever, whatever it might be. Lots of vice funds. <laughs> Coming up on Friday. Well, you know what? Doug's going to handle all that stuff. But Doug, what should we have learned today, man? So what did we learn today? First, investing in vices? Maybe that's not as volatile a strategy as you'd thought. Second, take some advice from J.J. Montanaro at USAA. Life insurance? It's probably time to check and make sure you have the right amount. But the big lesson? When picking a mutual fund, cock This is not funny, you guys. Stop laughing. I can't help it. Special thanks to Jordan Waldrip for visiting us today from the Vice Fund. You'll find a link to the Vice Fund in our show notes page at stackingbenjamins.com. Thanks also to J.J. Montanero for joining Joe's Dad Shortwave today. We'll also share a link to USAA's life insurance tools at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast 
or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. And finally, thanks to Joe's mom for hiring a real hypnosis pro to fix this little rooster issue I seem to be having. Anyone want to buy a book on hypnosis for idiots? I'll sell it cheap. Welcome to The After Show. If you're new to the podcast, this is the part of the show that doesn't exist. Also, if you're new to the podcast and you're hoping for money talk, we'll see you next time because we talk about movies or things going on in our lives, or sometimes video games or board games, whatever it might be. This time, I want to talk about moving because I, and don't judge me, I still had full direct TV. Why would I judge you for that? Well, you know, a lot of people cutting the cord. I actually, it's funny. I got half. Actually, I might, I might go back to it because I'm getting so frustrated with the online stuff. You know, my friend Mike actually did the big time upgrade of Hulu where you get the Hulu package that's kind of a daddy-o. And man, I really like what he's got with his uh, cord cutting there and much simpler than I thought it would be. But for now, moving out of the old basement and getting the new basement renovated means cutting my direct TV. <gasps> well, so Cheryl cuts direct TV and now we have these boxes, right? These, these, <laughs> and, and I said, I said, nobody told you what to do with it. She goes, no, they just, they just shut it off. And so she said, you're going to have to call up direct TV and find out. So first of all, I go online and I'm trying to get into my online account. And I can't figure I can't figure out my account at all. I can't get in. I keep requesting my password. It tells me that I can use, you know, my email address and I go through many passwords. I look at my password manager. I can't find it anywhere. It just it's it's driving me crazy. So I call. And I hate calling because I know it's gonna be twenty five minutes of baloney just to find out what to do with the stupid box. But I call up and I get this very nice woman. And she asks me for my account information and she's having trouble pulling up my account. And she said, well, maybe it's just a question I can answer. And I said, well, yeah, it's actually a pretty easy question. We might not even need to go into my account. I just canceled my service. 
And I have these boxes, these DirecTV boxes. I need to know where to send them. She goes, oh, it's really easy. You just take them to a UPS store. You have a UPS store or FedEx? I said, yeah, there's one right down the street. She said, well, that's great. You just take it there. You give them your account number and you leave it. They package it up. They take care of everything. There's no charge. Just you have to do it in a certain amount of time. I'm like, oh, that's great. She goes, so do you have your account number? And I go, unfortunately, no. I mean, I probably do in a box. Yes, it's email somewhere or it's in a box somewhere. I got it somewhere. So she starts looking it up. And she looks it up and she asks for my phone number. And of course, I give her my phone number and they can't find it. So then I said, you know what? It's probably Cheryl's phone number. I give them Cheryl's phone number. She can't find it. Then I give them our old phone number from 10 years ago, which we often use on accounts where we don't want to get on a list, right? So I said, oh, it's probably his phone number. Still can't find it. She's like, she's like, what about your social security number? So I, I give her my social security number and she says, sir, did you, did you cancel this just this last week or did you cancel a long time ago? And I'm like, no, I just canceled it last week. And then I said, can you hold on a second? Because I see my phone beep and I got a call on the other line. Can you hang on? And she says, yes. And I hang up on her. (laughs) Because I realized that I have dish. I thought you were going to say, because I realized that I canceled it a long time ago and I've been getting it for free. And I just had the wrong stupid company. Since here you guys separated your contract in 2007. <laughs> and you still got the stuff? Oh, man. And of course, then I this called... what happens when you get old. I got it. Then I called Dish. And Dish puts me through, puts me through just the ringer. Apparently, when Cheryl called up, they didn't cancel her account. Listen to this baloney. Our account, OG, is on pause so that we can restart it again. After, you know, the basement's renovated and things are ready to go, right? So, so she... Okay, that's fine, right then? Well, well, the thing is, you look at all of these new, you know, new user freebies that they give people. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah so I don't really, the- I don't really care about it. Why do I want to put my thing on pause? I'm like, no, just go ahead and cancel it. And by the way, the first guy I talked to, super nice, but he can't cancel it. He's got to send me to another guy. The cancellation first, specialist. Yes. The closer. Yes. Well, and, and it's funny because the first guy spoke some broken English. Nice guy, but probably in a different country. I don't know. I don't really care, but I think maybe. And then the dude who I talked to next sounded like he was from Ohio. And by the way, he was- New Jersey. And he was going to no, come break some, right. he's going to come break your legs if you- uh, Oh, no, no. This guy didn't use that approach. I that you want to cancel the service. We don't have people that cancel around here. We cancel you, not the other way around. I'll send Eddie over. He'll cancel your service if you know what I mean. Yeah. Right. No, uh, this guy didn't use that approach. He used the we're buddies approach. Ah, okay. Smart. Like, hey, dude, what's up? Yeah. You don't wanna- so is it something we did? I said, no, no, no. I'm I'm temporarily in some place where I don't control the, the TV. And he goes, what? Somebody else took the remote? Uh, (laughs) funny guy anyway cancel my stuff I ain't got all day buddy yes oh no 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 because that's tactic number two tactic number one I'm your buddy tactic number two is well I got like 500 forms I have to fill out here no you don't 
No, you got to press a button and your goal is to keep me on the phone as long as possible and make that more painful than canceling. Because he then takes me through after a while, he goes, well, sir, I see here that you're, you're a, you're a, I think he called me a five-star client. He said, he's, I don't know if you know this, but you're our top tier person. You always pay your bill on time, which by the way, I didn't know if I paid my, that's that's the status. (laughs) You're like, forget the American Express Centurion card, the black card. That's, that's where I was headed. But to know that I'm a five-star customer at Dish Network. Oh, do you know who I am? Mission accomplished. Yeah. Do you know who I am? You're going to go to like your local sizzler. Like, uh, yeah, can I get the table in the corner? Oh, sir, that's for our most distinguished guests. And you're like, do you know who I am? I pay my dish bill on time every stinking every month. Every month, like clockwork, almost like it was set up automatically to pay out of my freaking credit card on the 10th of every month, the if, same 80 bucks. If I knew that's all it took to be the, the five-star status was just paying your bill on time. Well, you'd just be the two-star status and let them cancel it. Be like, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to stop paying now so I can be a two-star. You guys want to fire me. So he said, wow, that's great. You know, you're our top star. And by the way, you're getting offers, Joe, that I can't get. And oh, I'm like, yeah, of offers? What, what offer? I don't know what offers I get. Of course, it's a Dish Networks, right? That goes directly in the circular file. Uh, so I'm like, I, I don't, what, what, what offer? Maybe I'm missing out on all kinds of entertainment yeah. options that I can't live without. And so he goes, he goes, I, you probably just want to keep this paused until you move again. I'm like, well, I don't know. Now, now my nose is going to start to grow. Cause I go, well, I don't know when I'm moving again. January 2nd. Don't know when I'm going to move again. Don't know how long we're here. So let's just go ahead and cancel it. Well, sir, you know, it's no problem to keep it paused. That'll be, that'll be, no, no, that's fine. So I hate to have you send back all that equipment. Then we send you new equipment later. You could just keep it. I'm like, nah, I don't know. And you know what? I'm afraid that time's going to go by, I'm going to forget that I have it paused and you're going to start billing me and you're going to want your equipment back. That's totally me, by the way. I'll, yeah. all, I'll all of a sudden go in like a back closet and go, what's this Dish Network stuff? Yeah, four <laughs> years from now. Right. That's his goal too, by the way. Yeah, sure it is. So then I said, no, 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 let's cancel it. He said, okay, well, I just got to fill out a few forms here. And by the way, he's already asked me the address I've moved to. He asked me that early in the call. And apparently wrote it down, which is also funny because later in the call, he needed it again because the first time he didn't write it down. The first time he's like, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> okay. One, two, three, four. Anywhere street. Yes. USA, America. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. All right. I'm so confident you're not going to actually get off Dish Network that I'm not even writing this down. I take that dare. So then after a long pause while he's apparently filling out the Declaration of Independence yeah, he's got all these forms to fill out. Tons of tons of forms to get out of Dish Network. Like, I don't know, it's some maze, apparently. And uh, he finally said, oh, I can't believe this, sir. You've got the free pause. Most people don't get the free pause. Ah. Usually, it's five bucks a month. And I'm like, wait a minute. There are people that are dumb enough to not cancel and go, oh, if, if you just pause this, if you pause this, I can pay you $5 a month for a service I'm not going to effing use for the next several months. That's a What a bargain. Can I get billed 5 bucks a month? Like and you're not going to charge me that? Can I prepay that? I don't know if you knew this, but you have the free pause. <laughs> like this is just the biggest load of but there's no such th- there's no way. And by the way, if there is Dish Network, a way that you really do have the $5 pause, Shame on you. Like you're just, you're just 
ripping people. There's no such, oh, it was so great. No, no well, you don't want to cancel that. That's the free pause, OG. Yeah. Goodbye. And I said, uh, no. And then he got a little bit gruff and he goes, I'm sorry, what was that address again you gave me that you moved to? Because I got to send you this form. And by the way, filling out the real form at the end took way less long than those huge forms he was filling out later that apparently he didn't need. Yeah. So hmm. uh, it turns out I might have been better off with DirecTV because that woman was very easy to work <laughs> very, with. Very nice. She was fantastic. She, well, because she knew that she was going to sell you DirecTV in a couple seconds because <laughs> you didn't have an account. <laughs> Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.